<laughs> All right, it looks like it looks like we're live. Let's see. I live. I don't know. Yeah. There we are. You see it? Right. it yeah. Like. All right. All right, guys. I guess we got to start this thing. Sorry about that delay. Um, technology and all its quirks were. Um, let's see. <clears throat> so thank you everybody for joining us. Uh, tonight we're gonna be talking about Alpine touring equipment. Um, but for, before we do that, I wanna say a couple of things. Um, I wanna talk about the Catamount Trail Association. The Catamount Trails, this series is hosted by the Catamount Trail Association. And the Catamount Trail is a 300 mile long backcountry ski trail that runs the length of Vermont. The Catamount Trail Association is the organization that maintains that trail. Also, along with our chapters, we, we manage a number of backcountry zones across Vermont. And during the winter, we run a, a youth program, which last year put over 500 kids on skis. Uh, you can learn more about the Catamount Trail Association. You can become a member. Uh, and if you are feeling generous, make a donation uh, on our website at catamounttrail.org. So <clears throat> before we get going, uh, I, do, uh, I think we should all introduce ourselves. Um, my name is Greg Mayno. I'm, I, work, I'm, I live in Burlington and I work at the Catamount Trail Association. Uh, I've been, I started skiing around 10 years ago. Uh, I was a snowboarder for a long time and got into skiing specifically to explore the backcountry more. Um, I'm actually not a very good skier. So backcountry skiing really appealed to me because there's more skinning than skiing. So I kind of appreciate that. Um, and so, yeah, I, I really enjoy it. Most of my turns are done in the backcountry or um, human powered. I, I don't very often ride lifts. Um, and so hopefully some of the information we share tonight will be helpful to you guys. Um, Tristan. Hey everyone, my name is Tristan uh, Von Dunst. Uh, I got into skiing, I think 15 years ago, uh, simply to uh, get into the mountains more, I suppose. I used to be a snowshoer um, and I kind of felt like, you know, I kind of wanted to move a little bit faster and I found myself sliding on snowshoes a little bit too much. So, um, uh, I started working at Onion River Sports, uh, and went back country skied one day and, uh, and that was it. I don't think I touched snowshoes for a long time and I started skiing uh, a lot. Um, totally into human powered skiing, uh, skiing. I don't do a lot of lift serve. Um, I do it on occasion. Um, but uh, I live out in Marshfield, Vermont here. Uh, so I live really close to uh, Groton State Forest, which has um, a lot of terrain, a lot of fun stuff, a lot of low angle stuff um, uh, off the beaten path. And so uh, for like the last 15 years, um, it's just been a lot of fun kicking and gliding and uh, taking my daughter out into the backcountry and teaching her uh, a couple things. And, um, and so, yeah, yeah. Awesome, Kenzie. Um, hi. I'm Kenzie Fuquay. Uh, I am a technical sales manager at OGE and I have been skiing since I can remember. Um, I was put on skis, I think when I was three, but spent a lot of time Nordic skiing. I raced in high school and in college. And when I moved to Vermont about eight years ago is when I really got into backcountry skiing um, specifically because of the Nordic aspect of it, of actually earning my turns. Um, and ever since then, I think about 95% of my skiing is in the backcountry. Um, I only go and ride lifts when I have to for work or when people are visiting. Um, and I live over in Stowe, which is a fantastic area to have so much literally in the backyard to ski at. Um, 
yeah, skiing is just, it's a huge part of who I am and I don't think I would be who I am without it. Thank you. Joshua. Hey everyone, I'm Josh Burns. I'm a Catamount Trail member, volunteer, uh, just uh, residing in Huntington, Vermont. Uh, love getting out, earning turns. I first started backcountry skiing in 2009. I took a, a snowboard to a table saw, so I guess I was split boarding at first. And uh, pretty janky setup, but at least it got me out there exploring the, uh, the woods and kind of finding just wild places that you wouldn't find uh, normally just kind of poking off the lifts and all. So uh, just that same kind of sentiment just keeps me stoked getting out into the backcountry more and uh, finding new places. And, you know, you can't get stuck in the same place. Just keep exploring new areas. And that's what keeps it fun. Great. Thanks, guys. Um... Before we get going into the gear, I do want to say that this we're not here to tell anybody what to buy or that you know you should buy a specific product. We're really just here to share what we're using and a little bit about why we ended up using the gear that we're currently using to help just help everybody kind of make better decisions about when you, when you go into your local shop or into a place like OGE and you're staring down the equipment wall and you have 200 pairs of skis in front of you or like 40 pairs of bindings, like how do you make a good decision? You know, none of this stuff is cheap. So if you're gonna invest in this sport, you know, you wanna feel like you're making a good decision. So um, we're just here to kind of like share what we're doing and why we're doing it. And hopefully that can help you um, make decisions when you're next, you know, the next time you have to purchase something. Um, let's start with, Skis and bindings. Um, anybody want to go first? Um, how about Tristan, since you're kind of the outlier with the telemark stuff? Oh yeah. Does anyone even telemark ski anymore? I was going to ask you that before. <laughs> personally, personally, I think for like the low, the low angle stuff and like you know rolling terrain, telemark's the way to go. You know, like a pair of like fat fish scaled skis and a telly binding, like yeah. That's, oh man, that's swoon worthy right there. <laughs> yeah, no, I like that. I like that. Yeah, so I do a lot of low angle out my backyard. Um, just really fun stuff. Like if I have an hour or two, I go out to a, a field and uh, no skins. Uh, so I have a, a Bole Vector BC, um, right? Probably my favorite ski, uh, just because of how light it is, actually. Uh, my other setup is a uh, Black Diamond Verdict. Uh, which I use for like if I go to Bolton or Nebraska Valley, if I'm going to go hit some blades. But really my favorite ski, um, if I just want to get out for an hour and I don't want to think and I just want to grab something, uh, I grab this. And this actually um, is made it up with a three-pin hardwire binding. So it actually does have cables, right? So some people might be more familiar uh, with a three-pin cable, which is just like a spring, you know, kind of um, not old-timey, but it's around 150 bucks. Uh, the hard wire, uh, the big difference is it's on a 20 mil riser. Um, so you get better edge to edge um, and it's a much more powerful, right? Um, uh, three pin, right? So um, it's not like a switch back. It actually has the three pins in the front and the 75 mil. Um, so when I'm just climbing, um, I actually, a lot of the times will just have my cables locked out behind the seal riser here and I'll just be three pinning. Uh, because it's really it's really fast and quick and feels really good and then you get to the top of the hill uh, and then you can uh, um, you know your cables are adjusted for whatever boot you're using and then you can get that power going down so this ski when I first skied it um, I was kind of skeptical it was I think the first ski 
that was pretty fat. I think the fattest ski in the market back then was probably um, uh, when it was still Carhu, the Carhu guide. And so when this came out, everyone was kind of like, oh man, like that's like a pretty big ski, uh, but it's pretty light. And I think the first time I skied it was at the Bolton Catamount uh, Trail Association uh, Backcountry Festival. Um, and I immediately loved how well this ski climbs um, with the waxless pattern which immediately made me think, oh man, this ski is not gonna be fun going downhill. But it was the exact opposite. This is a super fun uh, rock, uh, what do they call it? A hybrid rockered ski. Uh, I think a 121 in the shovel, 110 in the tail, uh, maybe 96 underfoot. So like I said, this ski, if you're a Telemark skier and you're gonna go do some steep stuff or even low angle stuff, this is such an easy ski to grab and just throw it in your car. And then you don't have to like worry about the eight other pairs of skis you might have in your closet, um, which we probably all do here. Um, so this is my favorite ski by far, no matter kind of where I'm going, if I'm touring or if I'm going up to go down on a powder day, you cannot go wrong with this. Uh, so that, this is, I love this ski. Yeah. And so I know, I do know a lot of people that also use them with AT, with an AT yeah. setup. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I certainly do. <laughs> Again, it's just like if you have terrain where there's a lot of transitions, mm -hmm. it's a nice way to just yeah. and you and you don't have it's not super steep. Yep, it's a great way to go. And you can carry skins. You know, I'll carry skins with me if I'm lazy or I'm tired or you hit like a steep something or like you know your buddy lies to you and you actually have like a really steep approach. You can throw <laughs> skins on that, no problem. Oh. And uh, it does have a centered base. So a lot of people don't know, but you can wax the tip and the tip ski uh, and the, the, the wax will so centered base, which will make it faster. So if you're like, oh man, you're on wax the skis, you're gonna be dragging the whole way down, waxing that tip and tail the night before or F4 uh, um, will make that ski a bit quicker and keep that snow from sticking to the base. So yeah, yeah. Nice, thank Enough you. Said. Anybody else want to go? Kenzie? Well, I'm kind of cheating because I'm I'm at work right now. So my setups are at home. But the nice thing is I have all of the toys to choose from that I actually use here in the store. Um, so my daily driver ski is the Fisher Ranger 102. Um, it's not the lightest weight thing in the world by any means. It's actually kind of heavy. Um, but it skis so nicely, like in really tight trees and also just like ripping wide open groomers. If I do decide that I'm just going to like go skin up Bolton or go skin up Stowe in the morning, it just skis well on pretty much anything that you can imagine. Um, like I said, it's really not the lightest thing in the world, but it gets the job done for most of the terrain that I like to do. Um, and then my bindings that I have on that guy are these guys right here. These are the ST rotations from DinaFit. Um, and I think these are probably my favorite bindings I've ever had. Um, and it's because of how safe they are. I've had ACL tears and I really don't want to continue tearing ACLs. So the fact that it gives a little bit in the toe, um, to allow for a lack of pre-release, uh, is really nice. Um, so that's my ski that I ski all the time, but you know, as Tristan was saying, we all have so many skis that we use. Um, I have something similar to what he has, but with a tech binding on it that's super lightweight. I have the Bollet Objective BCs. And then I also ski on some DPS Yvette skis that have a G3 binding on them. So it's really just what is gonna be the best tool for the job that day. Great, thank you. And Josh. 
Yeah, I'll go, I'll swing the other way and go for the one tool for almost every job. <laughs> uh, here is the, this is the Armada Tracer 88. Uh, it's a great East Coast ski. You know, if you were out West, you might want to size this waist width up, you know, 10 millimeters or so, but for the East Coast, an 88 underfoot can pretty much do it all. Uh, the construction of the tracer kind of gives you a nice nose rocker, uh, camber underfoot to make sure that you can still hold an edge in those shoddy conditions, uh, but give you plenty of float in, in deeper pockets of snow around here. Um, uh, I've comboed this with something similar to what Kenzie was talking about. This is the, the Dina Fit Speed Turn. So this is a real economical way to get into the tech binding area, but still just a tried and true binding. Um, they, they've been skiing on this binding pretty much in Europe for, I don't know, 20 plus years or something and not much has changed. Um, I will say the analogy I like to use with the tech bindings, if you're, if you're looking to make that step and get into a tech binding is it does ski similar to a hardtail mountain bike. It's a little more rigid. It doesn't really give you that shock absorption that your full suspension Yeti might. Uh, but, you know, we're out there skiing deep snow. You don't need shock absorption when you're foot deep in powder. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, so the, the tech bindings, uh, they, they make it real efficient for you to spend a long time on your feet. So I really kind of switched over to this setup um to do multiple laps to spend long outings the bolt in the traps trail you know you're out there real long time on your feet it's more like hiking than it is skiing a lot of times even though there are fun bits in there um but yeah the pin setup it keeps the uh the the uh, pins up close to the to the toes of your boot uh this makes for a nice natural slide and then once you get to the uh so you have that kind of switched over backwards. Once you get to the top, looking to transition, it's just a, an easy turn and step and you can go and rip those skins and go. Um, really efficient, just really fun to be out there. Um, but yeah, nice, super lightweight. You're not lugging around a frame uh, with every step. So it just is just kind of a joy to be nice and easy and out for a hike for the day. Totally. <clears throat> yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Josh. And so yeah. I, I brought two pairs of skis. I brought, um, actually my daily driver is probably uh, this Salmon uh, Mountain Ski at the S-Lab Mountain, uh, just because I have two littles at home. So most, most of my skiing is like pre-work, like inbounds laps, like more fitness touring or fitness maintenance. Um, and so I like this ski. It's 80 underfoot. Um, it's super light. Um, it's got a really simple binding, again, a Solomon binding on it. It's a tech binding. It's got a little bumper so you can, you know, to stop your toe. So it's really easy to get into. I also, I run it with a brake uh, just because I'm skiing in bounds a lot. And, you know, if your ski comes off, it can go flying around. Um, I just like how simple this binding is. And I also like the, the brake is disassociated from the ski. Like it's not, it's two separate things. Like it's, uh, you can take it off if I wanted to, or if, I, if it got caught up and broken, I could just remove this and I wouldn't have to replace like the whole heel piece. You know, I feel like a lot of new bindings like the G3s and the Dinafits, they have that integrated brake. And if you break, if that, if anything bends or gets broken, you have to have that whole heel piece replaced, which is kind of a little bit of a bummer. Um, 
So yeah, I really like this just cause it's super light. Um, it skis really well on hard pack. It's still wide enough that if like I show up and there's like a, you know, a, a secret powder day, it still skis really well. So um, it's just like a, it's a pretty good all around ski. Um, and then again, for like spring skiing conditions, um, you know, it's just, again, it's, it's super light. It's, it's provides a wide enough platform and enough platform to like make good turns. And it definitely can, is more ski than I need as being not a great skier. So I, I definitely never run out of ski with this. Um, the other ski I brought is, is another Solomon ski. This is the mountain 90 or 95. So it's a little bit bigger underfoot. And again, it's not like this, it's a pretty light ski, but it's not the lightest ski in the world. So it still skis pretty well um, on the downhill. Some, I feel like one of the problems with like super light skis, is they, go up really well but they then when you come around turn around and come down they just don't ski that great you know like a damp ski isn't there's no special technology in there it just it's a heavy ski heavy skis are damp like there's no and so like a heavier ski is going to ski better but it's not going to climb as well and I feel like I I went with this ski because it was a good compromise between kind of like skiability and weight and also on width it's, you know 9500 foot isn't a huge ski but on a powder day it's you know it's more than enough um, I do sometimes wish for a bigger ski early season when there's not a lot of snow and in like crusty conditions because a wider ski gives you a little bit more platform and so you're punching through a little bit less. Um, but generally like on a real powder day, like this ski is great. Um, I feel like fat skis really, you really need fat skis when there's not a lot of snow to get up to, so you can use as much of it as possible. Um, <clears throat> This binding that I have on here is the one of the, the original, the Radical 2.0 when it first came out. So it also has the rotation, rotating toe, but this one doesn't have like the little detent that holds it in place. So this one's, you know, tech bindings are already a little bit fiddly and this one's like extra fiddly um, because when it's in, it just kind of like moves and there's nothing to tell you where it's centered. So like you click in and if your foot's not perfectly lined up, it takes a minute to like, you know, get your heel just perfectly lined up before you can boot in. And so I like this binding and I like that it's safe, but I would probably update. It would be nice to go up to like the new rotation, which does have that little indentation that tells you when it's centered. So it gives you a little bit of feedback. So you know when you're going to kick in. Um, other than that, yeah, I've been really enjoyed this, um, this setup. I'll ski this one inbounds. Like if, I'm, if I am going for a resort day, this is the one I'll take. And yeah, I wish I kind of wish wish I had a fatter ski, but you know, doesn't everybody? Yeah, I um I recently got a 112 waist wet ski that I'm so stoked on. That yeah. I actually put one of the few new tech bindings that you can remove the brakes from on there, the G3Z. Nice. Um, which is a really awesome, safe and lightweight binding. So so, so quick question before we move on on the uh, the bindings, all the three of us that are on AT setups, we all have tech bindings. Now, what about frame bindings? Cause I know a lot of people, I see a lot of questions online and we get a lot of questions from people about frame bindings. And you know, there's always, if you're in one of the forums, there's always somebody that's just like, don't buy a frame binding, just go with the tech binding, you're, you're you know. But <clears throat> do they have a place? What do you guys think? I mean, I started on a frame binding um, it was cheap, you know, like tech bindings, like even the speed radicals or the radical, the, the, the rot whatever, I forget the model that you have. There's still, there's still like 400 bucks. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, 
I think that the frame bindings, of course, have a place. I think the whole spectrum of bindings. So whether that be the frame bindings that has a pivot that's way in front of the toe that's not quite as natural um, to the super lightweight tech bindings to the new hybrids that are coming out, which are super popular. We're selling them like crazy at OGE, the shifts and the kingpins and that kind of stuff. I think it's really just speaking to the different users that are out there. The thing that I love about the frame bindings is that that's what a lot of people are starting their kids in. So it's something that you don't necessarily need to have a tech compatible boot to use, but you can still set your kids going uphill on those bindings for like 350 bucks. And otherwise it's gonna ski exactly the same as their downhill bindings do. So it's, it, economically, it makes so much sense. Nice, yeah, I, I just think that you kind of have to just weigh your options and, and how much time are you gonna spend on this to, you know, in the back country, you know, if you're 20%, you know, back country to 80% ride and lifts, a, a frame binding is a, a great way to be able to just kind of poke out and still have some fun do some touring and but most of the time you have that solid binding underneath you for the days at the resort um if you're coming from like a, a race background too or you're really charging hard i don't know that it i haven't had any issues and i haven't really heard of problems with the uh, tech bindings but you know they are still just a couple pins <laughs> in that binding sure. um, and I do think long-term durability is probably an issue. And like somebody, like you were saying before, like that suspension, like the fact that there's some elasticity in a frame binding does provide like a better, like hard conditions, which, you know, we often run into around here, um, mm -hmm. a little bit more performance there. So they are heavier and maybe they don't tour as well, but I mean, I, I started on them and I had a, I had a really good time on them. And, you know, yeah. I think if you're getting into it, it's like a great way to go just because you don't have to, you get, it gets you out there and, right. um, and it saves you some money. And, you know, I think if you, I think if you already had some, if you already had, like, if you were, say you're an Alpine skier this year and you're like, I really, I'm going to try backcountry skiing this year. And you're buying a dedicated backcountry setup. I would probably, and, and money wasn't a huge issue. I would still probably recommend going to pin binding just because it's going to provide the best, not, not even if it doesn't tour even if touring and like performance and weight isn't a big issue to you like they clear ice better they you know they just they're easier to use and they provide yeah. less headaches when you're out there in the deep snow or freezing fog or whatever it is you run into they just they just tend to work better all northeast conditions <laughs> yeah all of them i i do still think that um the the frame bindings are actually kind of being beaten out by the, the Solomon Armada atomic shift though, um, which I actually brought in because it's such a popular binding in case you guys don't know what it is, which yeah. probably everyone in the world knows what this is at some point. But the, the reason I think it's so cool for someone that's looking for that 50-50 setup or even like 20% backcountry, 80% front side setup is because it still does release exactly like your normal Alpine binding does, but you get that natural pivot point with that that toe right there the one downside i see of it is that it only has one climbing bar which is a pain in the butt um but that's what we're selling the majority of and honestly like a lot of my friends that come from race backgrounds they're going for this just because of that mentality of looking down at their toe and saying okay i see this whole bail over my toe i feel safe knowing that but i still want the tourability for up it's not saving a lot of money, but it's great for that kind of hybrid user. 
Yeah, I mean, and I think if we, if all of us look back on what, these aren't our first skis. <laughs> you know, we've gone through a lot of skis. And so the thing is, is like, you know, you're never, and like everybody, what's, what's the rule with skis, right? N plus one. So, yeah. So the reality is like, whatever gets you out there, right? I mean, if it gets you out there, like that's the, that's the right kit for you. So I don't know. All right, let's, uh, let's move on to boots. Um, I guess I'll start this time with, I brought two, I brought two boots in. I have two different boots that I will be running this season. One's brand new. And then one, this is a Solomon boot. It's kind of on the, on the lighter weight side. Um, and these are, you have to be careful with lightweight boots. Cause one of the ways that companies save weight is by using a lower cuff. And so you don't have as much boot to push against um, when you're, you know, when you're skiing. And for me, I'm not, again, reiterating, I'm not a great skier. Like I, I like having that support in the front because it really like, you know, you don't, it helps with your skiing. It's definitely uh, beneficial. And like, you know, I don't have to be as good of a skier if I have more support, but I really like this boot because it has a ton of range of motion uh, when it's in, when it's in its walk mode. Um, it does, this one has this kind of a, a fancy mechanism, which allows the cup to, to move this way as well. Um, I don't really know that it provides much benefit and it makes the kind of mechanism more complicated, which worries me. Uh, but I really do appreciate how much range of motion this has. I mean, I've run the corporate cup 5k in this boot, um, without any problem, that. you know, so it was yeah. um, very nice. I really, I really, and then, and then, and then last year I did for the the catamount, the, our backcountry challenge. I did twenty thousand feet, and I did it in this boot, and didn't have any foot problems. So, I really, I mean, that's that's part of that's boot fit. But I've just really, this has been a really enjoyable boot. And I would say I ski this boot probably eighty percent of the time, and I'll ski this boot with both pairs of skis. Um, so, the other boot I have is a is a new boot this year. This is the La Sportiva uh, Spectre. And I had the original version of this boot and I got, I picked it up again this year because I really enjoyed that first version and the boot I had previous to this didn't really fit my foot. So this was kind of going back to what I know, but again, this is a slightly taller boot. So it's going to provide a little bit more uh, support and performance and kind of challenging snow conditions or skiing with a bigger ski. It's still pretty light and still has a lot of range of motion in the, in the cup. And so it tours, I'm, it tours really well. One of the other things I like about this are, I know a lot of people complain about how fiddly these buckles are, but I kind of really like them. Um, if you do, you do kind of have to get in here with like a screwdriver and get this, get the like the clasps kind of dialed in just right. But once they're dialed in, the nice thing about them is they hold on to the buckle so you can just open them up and tour. And then when you get to the top, you just close them and they, you don't really have to fiddle with them that much. Um, and I, I really appreciate kind of that simplicity and that, that quickness uh, to the boot. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, boots are, boots are such a personal thing. I do. One of the things I've noticed coming from, you know, uh, like a really entry level touring boot. And then the boot I had last year, which didn't have a huge range of motion was how much I appreciate a boot with a lot of range of motion. Like it really makes a big difference in the comfort, the performance going uphill. Like you don't have to use your heel risers as, as, uh, as soon. You can kind of like, you can stride out more. I feel like it's just more efficient. And then making sure you just get a good boot fit is really important to just being happy, like good performance and just like having a good time. I do think fitting uh, an AT boot or something like that is a little bit trickier uh, just because you're, you know, in a, in a regular downhill boot, 
you're kind of in a, a relatively static stance, kind of like pressuring the, the front of the boot. Um, but in a in the AT boot, you're in a much more dynamic where you're striding out, you're having to, you're having to ski. And so when you stride out, your, your foot's moving around a lot more in here. So like the typical boot fit where you have, you know, your toes are crunched. And then when you're like leaning into the ski and there, it feels good, like that may or may not work for you in a touring boot because, um, so you have to be a little bit, uh, a little bit more room in a touring boot, I think is generally a good thing. Um, so it does definitely makes it a little bit trickier, but you know, you want to fit it like a, like a snug fitting hiking boot um, versus like your like foot vice, you know, race boot. <laughs> uh, anyway, Josh, you want to go? Sure. Yeah. So I got this uh, to complete the Ferrari red setup here. This is the, the Scarpa F1. Um, it's same same idea that Greg was talking about, a real big range of motion, 60 degrees on this. Um, and this one has the, the tech inserts for the tech binding, but there's no bill to it. So this actually won't even fit in an Alpine binding. Uh, just making that stride like even more natural. There's nothing in the way there to, to hold you up from um, sliding uphill. Um, it's kind of a kind of an odd boot. It's just uh, two buckles up top and a boa system. Um, the boa kind of acts as like two buckles as they kind of separate this uh, this um, the cable here. Um, but it uh, it definitely can say I ski this boot with the 88s, but I also ski it with a 115 underfoot ski. And so definitely you can actually really push these pretty hard, even though, you know, it's not a four buckle boot per se, um, but still gives you a nice plush intuition liner that everyone loves, um, keeping the, those feet nice and comfy and, and nice and uh, heat moldable. Um, but yeah, I definitely, like Greg was saying, fit this boot closer to like I would a nice hiking boot. Uh, just want to be real comfortable all day. Um, and then you can really just kind of, Kind of hammer down on the buckles and the in the bow to get a nice uh, tight fit uh, fit for for skiing. Uh, one last thing is the Vibram sole. When you're out and you're going to do some boot packing or anything, or you know northeast conditions, spring skiing, sometimes you end up walking on rocks and all. Having something that's not going to slide around and you can really kind of maneuver your way through some terrain is is great to have when backcountry touring. And I will say, like, people always ask if I destroy my souls when I've run the corporate, I've now run the corporate cup 5k uh, three times <laughs> ski boots. And uh, they've never, I've, they've never really seen any unnecessary wear on the boots. Oh, man. Uh, my knees and my hips, yes. But <laughs> yeah. you sound not, like a telemark skier, dude. Yeah, not the boots. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kenzie, you want to share, what are you using? Um, so I am upgrading to the new generation of the Zero G Scout from Technica. I had the first gen of this guy, which was stellar and probably my favorite boot that I've ever owned, but it's definitely more on the traditional side um, of the Alpine touring spectrum in that it's a true four buckle boot. Um, and it doesn't have quite as aggressive of a walk mode to it. So compared to like the F1s or the X Alps, this is 55 degrees of range of motion. Um, but I encounter what a lot of lady skiers encounter, which is trying to find a boot that is actually stiff enough 
um, for my skiing style, which by no means am I a super aggressive skier, um, but I'm a very flexible person. And with that, generally more flexible people need stiffer boots. So this is one of the few boots out there that's a 115 flex for ladies um, that actually flexes pretty true to that. Um, so I am so stoked on this guy. I have been dreaming about getting a new zero G for the last two years. And I finally clapped my old ones out last year. And um, the thing that Josh was saying about the toe bail, this is something super important for people to know. Um, there are different compatibilities that a lot of bindings and boots will not work with. And that includes that toe bail right here and also the ISO certification on the bottom of your boot, which this one technically does not have one. Um, so if you're looking for new boots and new binding combos, always look into what you might pair together because they might not work. So this guy technically will not work with an Alpine binding. No tech can say that it will, but it will work with a lot of other types of bindings out there. Whereas, you know, you might be able to get something like a K2 Mindbender or a Scarf Mistrali and that'll work with Alpine bindings if you get the right ones. Thank you. And then uh, before we jump into the Telemark boot, someone was asking, uh, why AT when you can telly? Oh God, uh, that's a great question. Well, Tristan, uh, like I know the answer for myself and I don't telly because I'm not that good of a skier and I need all the help I can get uh, and the AT is my crutch. Yeah. Um, Duperability and comfort. <laughs> Maneuverability and comfort, right? So, oh, these are a little dusty. Um, uh, I'm skiing, uh, the Garmont Voodoo, which is now Scott, they, they still make these, right? I'm pretty sure they still make this. Um, so uh, this boot was really cool when it first came out um, years and years and years ago, because it was a, it was the first three buckle boot um, that actually skied like a four buckle boot, but it's nice and light, right? So when you're talking about touring, um, you know, gear can get kind of heavy. Um, I definitely noticed when I'm skiing my verdicts, uh, things are kind of heavy and I'm kind of like, man, what I bring these skis. Um, so, um, having a light boot and a light ski is really nice for going up. I like to go up like Greg. I really sometimes actually have more fun going up than I have going down depending on the ski conditions. So this boot was great. Uh, three buckle skis, more like a four buckle, um, has a great overlap cuff, full moldable, uh, liner. Um, uh, what else? Uh, there's three uh, different kinds of P-backs in this bellows, so it gives a nice progressive flex. Um, one thing I will say is, is that when I'm when I'm selling a ski or like a ski package, um, I really think the most important part of any setup is the boot. Um, I think a lot of people come in and they're like, they really want to get into a Scarpa boot, um, and you know, you show them the Garmin or whatever, and they're not really into it. But I think. Um, folks should try on a lot of boots because um, I really would love to ski a Scarpa boot, but for whatever reason, uh, Garmont, my foot just fits in a Garmont boot really well. So when I'm going up Nebraska Valley all day long, it's really nice to be in a boot that fits uh, versus that boot your buddy really loves and you really want to get your foot into it. Um, but it just, it, it's no bueno. So, um, so this is a really comfortable boot for me. I have a really high arch. So, um, um, that six toe, there's a lot of room in there for that six toe. If you got one of those going on, uh, has a tour, uh, tour mode here. So great cuff for great tour ability. Um, I don't know how much flex is in there. It's telemark who cares. Um, 
it flexes back and forth. It gets you up really nice and comfortable. Uh, and then what's really cool about these buckles is that you can actually flick these buckles and they won't, they won't let go. Right. So when you're going up, you can have these set up. And then when you get to the top, you just flick them and you can hammer that boot down and get to it. Um, so that's kind of a cool feature as far as getting that, that cuff to articulate um, and get you up. But yeah, why telemark skiing? I think, I think maneuverability and comfort. I think that's what it used to be. And then everyone was like, well, AT is so comfortable. And, and you know, yeah. so anyways, <laughs> AT gear is super cool. Telemark gear is too. Uh, but, you know, uh, telemark, learning a telemark turn, uh, you get clinics. Catamount Trail gets clinics on it all the time. Um, it's not the most intuitive thing. Like when you hit the top of a lift and, and you, you go to drop a knee, it's not really intuitive, or at least it wasn't for me. So I had to work really hard at it and I got to get a bunch of days underneath me before I feel like, you know, I can drop a knee. A lot of people don't drop a knee. You can telly and not drop a knee people, <laughs> or you can just AT ski. Um, but um, this is a really great boot. Um, if you want a, a really solid, powerful boot and you want to get around in the backcountry um, and have a lot of fun and, um, and I like it a lot. I put this, uh, I paired this up with a vector and, uh, and I, and I pretty much go anywhere. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So I love this boot. It's a great fit. So two quick questions for everybody. Uh, like when you are in tour mode, um, how, what, how do you adjust your buckles? Like some people open up everything and then go from there. And some people leave some buckles tight and some buckles loose. And do you guys have a preference or recommendations for, um, for any of those? I'm a little bit of a masochist, I guess. I just put it in walk mode <laughs> <and> go. <laughs> no, no buckle adjustment. No, you don't mess with the power strap or anything. <laughs> no, just keep it nice and snug. I mean, it's like lacing up your, your hiking boot, you know? Once that's laced, you're good to go. So just as long as that walk mode's open, go for it. I, I do not live that way. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I definitely unbuckle my top two buckles and loosen that power strap for days. Um, but I always keep my bottom two buckles buckled over the foot because I really want my heel to stay in that pocket really nicely. But the, the walk mode improves so much when you undo those top two buckles on the boots that I've always had. Yeah, I would agree. I, I'm with you, Kenzie. I, I leave the two buckles in the, bo the bottom buckles done because I want my foot held in place. I don't want my foot to move around. And then I loosen the upper buckles and the power strap just to give you, yeah, exactly. Just to give you as much range of motion as possible. And again, just, I feel like range of motion, the more range of motion you can have and the least, least the less resistance you can have, you know, the better, the more efficient your touring is going to be. It's just going to be more comfortable generally. However, I do feel like if you lose, I worry that if I loosen those bottom buckles, my foot's going to start to slap around and then, you know, and I'm going to get, you know, uh, a blister or something, which, you know, was kind of the worst thing. It's, it, I feel like that's one of the worst things when you're out touring is any kind of like foot blistering or foot problems, really, it's cold out. You really don't want to like stop and have to take care of that. And so if you can just avoid it and from the get-go, it's kind of a, the way to go. The, the interesting thing, um, I mean, I've been boot fitting for 10 plus years. Um, and one of the things that people always say is the two bottom buckles are not really that useful. So it's, I always keep them buckled because I'm just terrified of getting blisters like Greg said, but um, you can have them super loose if it's a proper fitting boot. 
and not encounter any fit issues on the way up. So if it, if it's you right, you can undo as many buckles as you want. It should not matter. Great. Um, and last insoles. Do you guys all run insoles in your? It seems like that's a fair, like a really common uh, boot upgrade for whether for any skier. <laughs> um, <laughs> what do you guys? What are you guys? How do you? What are you guys' feelings on insoles? I have super feet in all my boots. Um, yeah, if I don't ski, uh, if I if I don't have an insole, I can't get that fit. I mean, granted, I don't I don't go and spend a lot of money. I'm a Telemark skier, um, so I go and buy a forty dollar. How much feet now? Sixty dollars for fifty dollars. What's that? Fifty dollars. Yeah, fifty dollars. Uh, uh, so they're in all my boots, and I'm able to take up a little bit of volume, cup that heel, and keep that boot. Like you said, if your foot starts sliding around and you get a blister. Um, on a powder day, your friends are probably just going to leave you there and fend for yourself. <laughs> so, so I super feet in all my boots. Um, that's what I do. Josh, it seems like you're, you don't care. A hundred percent agree that if you, if you love them, go for it. You should have them in there, switch them between all your boots. I just, I've been lucky enough to have the perfect sample size foot where I can slip it into any boot and it works. So yeah, uh, yeah just lucky enough to not have to, I Totally. <laughs> you're, you're a fan. I'm a huge fan. I'm also spoiled because I work at a shop. So I have custom insoles in all of my boots. Yeah. Uh, so what people pay like 250 bucks for, I have in my boots because I'm, I made them. Um, so I would probably go for some super feet if I was, you know, your everyday. So enlighten, enlighten us a little bit about why like super feet on like the low end or, uh, a custom insole might be beneficial to especially somebody from a, that's looking into touring. So um, the whole point of a footbed is stabilizing your foot in the most neutral position possible. We don't want any movement at all. And it especially supports your arch and heel back into that heel pocket. Um, depending on your actual arch, a super feet might be awesome. Like there's different heights of arches that you can get like the greens, the blues, there's the carbons that take up like no room. So like at a price point, they're great. But if your feet are very different or else if you have like that big fifth toe splay, or for me, I have screws in my feet in that fifth toe area that really needs a little bit of extra support. Um, my footbeds are made specifically to my weird, weird feet and it keeps them in the perfect neutral position for them with the exact cant of posting, which is right underneath that heel cup, um, how your foot should be for you know, how your, your bones are aligned. Um, so if you're looking for an exact fit to have your foot in the best neutral position, that's where a custom footbed comes into play. But otherwise like 90% of people are great with like a super feet or like a out of the box dot, boot dot fit. Um, it's that I've been spoiled and right. have unfortunately <laughs> been tainted. Yeah. And I've, I mean, I kind of go either way. I have I, I have used super feet in the past and then I haven't. And like, I don't necessarily know that there's a benefit I've, for me personally. I have found with a boot that was a little bit too tight that the super feet helped um, buy me a little bit of extra room because it held, helped kind of supported my arch and kept my foot from splaying out a little bit. So like when I was using it, it you know, I, I got a little less like toe bump and stuff with touring, which was kind of nice. Um, yeah, I think it depends. Uh, again, it's just part of the fit process, right? You want the boot to fit as, as well as it can and custom insoles or super feet are just one aspect of making sure that boot fits the best way possible so all right let's get on to the other probably 
important piece of gear that we're going to talk about tonight, and that's going to be skins. Um, let's see, Kenzie, how about you start, start us off with skins? This is, um, so I've used whatever skins I can get my hands on for so many years, which have uh, ranged from like G3's terrible iteration where the glue was awful to your black diamond ascension full nylon skins um, to a skin this year that I'm really stoked on, which is a G3 minimus skin. So um, in general, because I am doing a decent amount of just straight ups to come down and also some long tours in, um, I'm either looking for a full nylon skin with that grip or else a mohair nylon mixture. The skin that I'm stoked on is super awesome because it is 70% mohair, 30% nylon and insanely lightweight. Um, so it packs down to like nothing in your pack. And it also has a piece of carbon that makes it essentially flat to where the tip is. Um, so you're not going to get any snow stuck under there. Um, so that's kind of what I've been rocking for years. Skins is where I've kind of, you know, let the, let the ball go and haven't had the best skins, but Hey, live and learn. Totally. Awesome. Tristan, what are you, when you're not sporting your waxless skis, what are you <laughs> hey, who needs skins? You guys, oh man. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I've had the same pair of BD Ascensions, uh, skins for a while, but, uh, I've also had G3s where. I had terrible uh, glue issues, um, but when it comes down to skins, um, it's about grip, glue, and ease of use, right? So grip, uh, as in how how uh, how much traction you get going up, right? Um, I've had people on, um, you know, I hate to say it, like G3 skins where they're going up and they they hit a steep pitch, and next thing you know, they start sliding backwards. And um, BD Ascensions, uh, by by far, I found have best grip i've gone up stuff where other people start sliding backwards and next thing you know they're you know they're traversing up the the face um so i find they have great grip um they have great glue i have totally trashed my skins um and only had to re-glue them once um and i'm not like i got dog hair i got pine needles i have everything in the glue and that glue still sticks to that ski um and then the ease of use um having that tip so that has an adjustable where you can actually buy um, different size, um, I'm gonna call them wires, so you can adjust the tip width. So if I'm on my Vertex, um, I can slide off the top and adjust that wire to fit a wider tip. And then when I'm on my vectors, I can actually slide off this cuff and minimize the wire to go on a smaller tip ski. So, so I find the BDs, uh, uh, as long as the skins aren't fatter than the ski you're putting them on, because you still want that metal edge for traction, I find that my ascensions will actually go on almost all my skis, uh, mid fat to fat. Um, and they hit all those things, grip, uh, um, grip glue, um, and ease of use. And I can take them off without taking my uh, boot out of my binding, which is really cool. Um, some people think that's, uh, uh hokey, <laughs> but I, 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 I do like to get to the top, uh, flick that tail off and then whip them off. And then I've got my skins in my jacket already, uh, you know, keeping them warm to, to for the next lap while other people are taking their boots off and then they're sinking in two feet. Um, so I find the ascensions out of all the skins I've tried had been my most favorite and I, and I still have them. Um, and they're probably ready for a new, an, another glue. Uh, to be retreated, but that that's my number one pick is BD Ascensions for sure. Yeah. And Josh, do you have skin tips or preferences? 
Yeah, uh, I mean, similarly, I've I've gone through a whole the whole gamut of different brands and all just trying to find the right one. And I've totally landed on Pomocas now. Um, this pair is the uh, the Pro Climb 2.0. So this is theirs is proprietary, uh, but it's a mohair mix. Um, so it gives you a nice glide. Um, I kind of like a little bit of glide with my, my stride. Um, if it gets too steep where you really, you know, feel like you're going to slide back, throw in a kick turn. Um, but so I kind of want to get that little bit of slide with every one of my steps to be just a little bit more efficient. Uh, and this, this skin has been phenomenal for doing that. Uh, like Kenzie was saying, packability is pretty big. You know, if you, if you got a quick dawn patrol and you're just going to stuff them in your jacket shell or something, that, that's great. They don't really even have to uh, bring a pack sometimes, but yeah, they kind of roll up into small type little bundle if you want them to, um, real ease of use. The, uh, the glue like Tristan was talking about on the, those BDs, the, the Pomocas is pretty similar when you're trying to rip those apart. You don't need your ski <laughs> holding the other side to do the, the big yank and the, the comic yeah. reel over there. Um, yeah. They just come right apart and they come right off your ski without leaving any residue. Right. And, um, and then finally, uh, so I moonlight my skiing as an environmental scientist and Pomoka has uh, stated that they are pretty much 100% fluorocarbon free with all their glide and waterproofing on there. Uh, other brands have stated that they, you know, they've uh, restricted one of the fluorocarbons, but there's like thousands of these compounds. Um, so, you know, just that little extra bonus being environmentally friendly on top of a fantastic product goes a long way for me. Awesome. So, yeah. Yeah, and I would, I would say I'm in the same boat as you. I have had black diamond skins and G3s. I had a pair of G3 skins that like the like same thing. The glue, they were always really hard to pull apart and the glue kind of balled up. That said, they lasted like, they lasted forever. I mean, I sold them to somebody and like they were still going strong. So, I mean, they worked. They were just like, but again, the, like ease of use. I didn't, I didn't think they like, you know, they weren't, they weren't high in the ease of use category. Um, had black diamond skins i've had and i've i've too have settled on some pomoka skins uh and yeah they're just i don't know they're I, I like the way they work i've really liked black diamond skins that i've had in the past um i definitely you definitely i think you know the cheaper skins like the nylon the pure nylon skins a lot of people go with those because for price um but they are bulky and like you were saying like they don't they grip really well but they don't glide i mean there's they're like so they're really durable. At the same time, I feel that a lot of people kind of like weigh that a little bit more heavily than they should, like some of the, the handling characteristics that you get from a mixed skin or something else. And the, and the cost isn't that much better, but they, I do find like a mohair mix, like more efficient, it's more packable. So when you're stuffing it in your jacket or in your pack, it just takes up less space. Um, they, I don't know, I just think like, and then, and I, and the mixed skins will still last you. Like, I mean, my, that pair of G3s I had was a mohair mix and it went for seven seasons, you know? I mean, and I, I get out on my skis re regularly. So, um, and so they're, they're plenty durable. I mean, so I don't know. I think uh, I definitely like, there's a ton of skins out there, but like for me, a mix, a mohair mix skin, 
uh, from any of the brands is probably good. I, I'm on Pomoka's this year just because, uh, again, wanted to try something different and uh, I don't know. Um, it's kind of where I settled. Uh, the, what about, do you guys all have tip loops? I mean, I know Josh, you probably have, like on one of my pairs of skis I have, they, they go on at the, they have like a two, like the skins that I have for this set of skis here, like neither of them have a, have tail clips. They just, they just kind of notch in at the tip here and then, and then they go on. And I, after using this setup, I've really, I really don't know if tail loops are really all that necessary anymore. You know, I feel like you know, last year and this, it was kind of like spring conditions when I did that kind of a backcountry challenge and I did 22 laps at Bolton <laughs> and I did it on one pair of skins. <laughs> so, and didn't wow. have a, with no tail clips. So uh, I think certain conditions can, but if you're like careful and like don't get your ski, your skins contaminated, uh, keep them warm in your jacket. Like there's really, you know, like you can do it. It is possible. You can do it. Volet strap when the, when the glue fails yeah. the there or heli straps, whatever you want to call them, you know. <laughs> when I do see you at our schema races, we do see a lot of skin failures uh, on the race skins when it gets super cold. <laughs> You know, the glue just freezes up, and, you know, they get contaminated with a little bit of snow on like those like minus 20 blowing nights. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But again, you guys are doing when those people are racing They're you know, you guys are getting in, you know, seven, eight, nine transitions. And so, you know, that's, that's a lot of transitions for uh, the skins to bear. So anyway, all right, cool. Um, Let's see. What about, I was going to mention something about technique. You guys were talking about grip on some of the skins and how, how much do you think that, how much, how important is it to have good grip or good skinning technique? Because I've definitely seen a lot of like our schema racers get up some pretty gnarly, steep, icy slopes on skinny skis with like straight race skins that don't provide a lot of grip. And oftentimes it's because, you know, I would attribute it to them having really good skinning technique versus, you know, oftentimes you see people sliding back on some stuff and oftentimes they're newer backcountry skiers and they're not properly weighting their skis. Mm -hmm. um, I personally haven't found, you know, I feel like with good technique, my skinny skins and my skinny skis get me up the same stuff that my big fat skins do on my fat skis. Uh, thoughts on this, you guys? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I think uh, go for it, Tristan. Oh, no, I, I was gonna say, I, I think, I think people um, uh, count out a uh, pole uh, being, you know, being a telemark skier, pole, pole plant, pole, uh, you know, using your poles uh, as part of your technique. Uh, I think climbing, uh, a lot of people don't think about where they place their poles in relation to where they are on the slope. So um, like, like Greg, Greg and I said, I like climbing a lot. So I found out really quickly that, um, the better technique I could have, the, the more I have, and, and I would get up the slope quicker or I'd have more energy. I've skinned with people where, you know, I look over my shoulder and people are like sweating and they're like, you know, they're shedding layers because they're working so hard. But if, uh, people work on technique and they use those poles and they know where to put them and able to weight their skis and also use their upper body, um, I find that it can make backcountry skiing way more enjoyable because I find a lot of people get, they're so exhausted after two or three laps 
that then, you know, what happens, you start to get sloppy in the down. So I think technique is huge. I think a lot of people, you know, it's all about the down, uh, but I think it also has a lot to do with the up and technique and how to use your skins, how to use your poles, where to put them, when not to try to go up a slope, when maybe you're going to have to sidestep or being a telemark skier, uh, doing rolling backcountry skiing, like having a herringbone. I don't think a lot of, I don't see a lot of people herringbone, to be honest. Um, and when you're on a waxless ski and you have no skins and you're doing the camel's hump challenge, you're doing like 14 miles, you better know how to herringbone <laughs> because otherwise you're going to, you're going to get really tired and, uh, and you're going to get sloppy. Uh, so anyways, that, that's, that's my take on it is technique. Good technique is good to have for sure going up. Yeah. I mean, I think technique is pretty much everything when it comes to skiing. Um, if you don't know where to place your foot on your ski, when you are going up something steep, if you don't know at what angle you are no longer comfortable going straight up, you need, you need to kick turn. Like Tristan was saying, if you don't know how to use your poles properly, you're kind of screwed. Um, so people that are entering into backcountry that don't know any of this, I almost always tell them to go with a full nylon skin because it's kind of that little fail safe. Of they're going to get better grip than they would on anything else because they don't know any better yet. Or, but, should, or should they get a mohair mix and then they'll know they've got good technique when they're not slipping? Ooh, that's a good question. Oh man. You can, you can look at it as a training device. Yeah. You could look at it as a training device or else you could look at it as a bigger hurdle to get over <laughs> in order to enjoy the sport. Cool. All right. So we, so technique matters and that, may play a factor in what you buy. Mm -hmm. So polls, I, I put polls on our list. I don't really know if we need to talk about polls. You guys have a- uh, well, Let's talk poll now. I'm just yeah, let's talk polls. No, I, mean, so, <laughs> I guess the biggest thing is- I got is eight pairs of polls. But like, like fixed polls or adjustable polls or doesn't matter. You know, do you need, if you're, if you're already an alpine skier and you're coming into backcountry skiing, do you need to get a new set of poles? No. Pick with them. Yeah. Just use what you've got, right? Yeah. Wrap a heli strap around it. You're good to go. <laughs> heli strap and duct tape. That's all you need. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> Enough said. We're doing poles. Yeah, so generally poles, like poles don't matter. Run what you got. If you, if you have the opportunity to buy poles, like an adjustable pole. Yeah. I mean, I, I love adjustable poles. I come from a Nordic background where it's like a whole bunch of upper body. Um, so I love being able to take advantage of that and actually being able to extend my poles. Um, but that's just, that's just my personal preference of where I come from with background. Totally. Uh, your everyday skier could probably be totally fine right. and content with a fixed length. Right. And I do I think, think the addition of a touring basket too, just having that little bit of angle forward on your, your pole, mm -hmm. instead of having that fire back at you, that little bit, every pole plant, uh, it'll save your insanity. Yeah. Save your yeah. yeah. Baskets are make a big difference. Um, yeah. I powder baskets on mine, but uh yeah, traverses, right? <laughs> so those, those are traverses, looks like. Yeah, these are yeah, they're well, they're just aluminum adjustable pole. I've used yeah. them for I mean, yeah. use them for down, inbounds, like yeah. I don't know. Yeah. They're, they're indestructible. Yeah, you bend a section, it's eleven bucks or probably 15, 20 bucks now to like fix it at the shop. They're super, super yeah. uh, and fixable. they and the thing is like it is nice if you have a long skin in someplace or like skiing it is nice to have a little bit of a longer pole and if you have a slippery skin where you get or like a waxless ski you can actually get some good glide out of them yeah. and so having that like longer pole gives you a little bit of a right. longer pole right. motion which just really saves you some energy on that like if you have a long skin or skin out which 
you know, in the Adirond- I feel like in the Adirondacks, there's some pretty long, like skin, you know, like skin ends that are relatively flat. And like, if you're going to be, if you're going to put like 10 or 15 miles on your skis, like you, you want to be making sure every little bit of energy is going into forward motion. So yeah, um, but uh, generally, generally just run what you got and, you know, go from there. I think the, the one piece that I would add to that is um, knowing how to use the strap on your pole. Um, because otherwise your hands are going to cramp and fatigue and you're going to be unhappy. So make sure that you are going through from the bottom and up around it if you're going to use the pole. And uh, if not, you can get some fancy like lucky or <laughs> straps that oh, hold yeah. on to your whole hand and you don't have to do anything. Yeah, yeah. It's using all your lats and that's all. <laughs> Yeah, so pulse to straps or no straps? Do people run? Oh, straps. Straps, yeah, yeah. yeah. They have to be comfortable, you know. Uh, there's something to be said for uh, a strap that, you know, oftentimes I will skin up without a glove on. So my strap should be uh, comfortable so that it's not digging in. And then the amount of strap you have. So when you're climbing and you have that strap and you're pushing back, having that strap adjusted correctly so that it's nice and s- not super snug, but it's, it's allowing you to push and plant and hold that pole there. That's also like adjust, you know, making your pole fit your wrist and, and being adjusted correctly is also huge. And I think that's something you acquire down the line. Mm-hmm. I think if you're a beginner, you're going to be like, whatever, it's a pole, you know, but as you get out in the backcountry, you fall down, you get back up, you ski with your buddies, then stuff like that becomes really important and you learn from other people. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Nice. For sure. The straps definitely on the way up provide. What yeah. about the way down? No. No? No straps. <laughs> I don't like straps on the way down. I, yeah. <laughs> I'm okay with losing my pole a little bit and having to skin back up and get yeah. it. <laughs> I step back up and get it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's because, and a lot of, oftentimes, like, in the, the reasoning is because if your pole gets caught on anything when you're going down, you don't want it to, like, yank your arm out. Yeah. So, which I've done before. It's it sucks when your arm just gets like ripped behind you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I find I find sometimes I get whipped off my feet when my pole gets caught, even without straps, because I just don't want to let go. Yeah. <laughs> so, I think like yeah, if I if I couldn't let go at all, it would be really bad. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, great. Okay, moving on. Let's see. Let's go. What's helmet? Uh, you guys all wear helmets backcountry skiing? Yes. Yep. All right. What Down- what? <laughs> on the downhill. On the, only on the downhill. Yeah, yeah, on the downhill. <laughs> yeah I agree with that. Yeah, on the I'll, I'll kick this one off. Um, so like for my, the helmet I'm using is actually a climbing helmet from Black Diamond. It's a, it's a really lightweight, almost like a bike helmet. Um, and so I'll wear this over like a buff or like a really lightweight hat and, or like a hat and like a, a baseball cap. And the reason I, the reason I like this helmet is because I, just I put it on at the car it's so light and like breathable like I put it on at the car and I take it off when I get back to the car like I don't I'm not worrying about putting it in my pack or dangling from my pack or skinning up and putting it on taking it off it just I just put it on and it's not so hot that I feel like I need to take it off and so I I've gone with this for backcountry skiing because whether wearing or not wearing a helmet has become a non-issue for me I just wear it all the time and it's and the, the, it, I carry it in the best place possible, which is on my head. And so um, I don't know if this is as safe as like a full-on ski helmet. Probably not. But, you know, generally, I feel like this is going to be, it's going to do, the, it's going to do what it needs to do. 
And I'm not, again, I'm not hucking cliffs or doing anything like that. So this is, seems more than adequate for the type of skiing I do. Um, I just like it because I just don't, again, it's not, there's no question about whether or not I bring a helmet with me or wear it. I just always do. And I just don't have to think about it. Um, anybody else? Helmets? So Josh, you wear it on the way down. What, yeah. do you do, what do you do with it on the way up? So I carry mine in my pack on the way up. I have a, a Pret Cynic. And so this is still on the lighter weight of all the, the helmets uh, out there. Um, I removed the ear straps, so I kind of be able to get that breathability. This does have vents on the, the top and front, um, so I can wear it if I am going for an extra lap or something. It, it does still kind of breathe a little less <laughs> uh, efficient as yours does, but um, it still is able to get that extra lap in if I wanted to. But um, I just kind of looked at it. I think it's it's the MIPS certification, which kind of gives that multiple directional protection is what I was looking for in my helmet. Um, I've had a couple, a couple knockouts in my past, so I don't want to go through that ever again. So I kind of wear a little bit beefier helmet just to be a little more safe. Um, but I do store it in the pack most of the time on the uphills, throw it on top of whatever hat I'm wearing, and then and just go. Uh, and that MIPS yes. that MIPS certification is like the for the glancing blows. So like if you're moving fast and like your your helmet catches the edge, it like rotates this way, right? It has the internal cell which breaks free and allows it to yeah. transfer less shock to like your neck and brain. Um, yeah, so I think if you, if, you're, if you ski fast and in terrain where, you know, you might go down, then yeah, like there are some, hel the helmet technology out there right now is, you know, you might look at something like that to kind of like really minimize. So it can tuck, if you're headed over to tucks, you know what I mean? And you're gonna be like throwing down in one of the gullies, you might want a potential <laughs> helmet <laughs> in case something goes wrong. Right. Literally. Mackenzie, your helmet oh. situation? Oh God, I am in the same boat as Josh, um, except mine is even burlier. So I rock the um, Smith Mission helmet that's also MIPS. And um, it's really just your traditional like Alpine resort helmet that has some venting on it. Um, but the reason is because one, I'm cheap. Um, and I still want to be safe no matter what I'm doing. And two, I get ungodly cold as soon as I stop moving. Uh, and part of that is my ears, my ears get so cold. So as soon as I get to the top, I'm putting on my helmet, I keep it on my pack at all times otherwise. Um, but it's just, it's what I, what I have, what keeps me warm and what especially keeps me safe. Awesome. Interesting. Do you just extra hat or you go? Uh, telemarkers don't wear helmets. So, um, I need. I buy boots. Don't even come out of our bindings, man. Come on. No, I. I. Uh, I. I, I want to date myself here. This is. Uh, this is way too old. Uh, this is a uh, Smith Maze helmet, which I really like, uh, purely because it's super light. So I. I had been wearing a. Uh, I had a couple of Juro helmets, a couple other Smith helmets, but when this came out, out I was super drawn to it because uh, I don't wear it on the way up. I put it um, on my pack in a helmet bra. Uh, and then I put it on as soon as I get up. Um, and, uh, you know, so light, you could walk into a bar with it because you forget you're wearing it, you know, which I've been accused of doing many, many times. Uh, but super light, not, no vents. So maybe not the most ventilated helmet, 
kind of looks like a cannonball, but super, it, it does its job. Um, you know, if you, if you, if you go down and you hit your head, uh, you know, you hit a tree or something, or you glance a tree, it does the job. I think it's, uh, probably time to get a new one, but I like a light helmet, uh, a minimalist, um, helmet. So yeah, that's what I like. I think one of the takeaways here is everybody wears a helmet backcountry skiing. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't a situation where you go without a helmet. Yeah. Yeah. You don't feel right. I don't feel right. At least, uh, not wearing a helmet. I feel kind of weird. <laughs> I totally feel naked wearing a yeah, helmet. Yeah. If I show up and forgot my, I, I don't forget my helmet, but if I were to like go skiing without a helmet, it feels really strange. I think I've forgotten my helmet once and I ended up taking my touring setup around the Nordic trails at Bolton. Yeah, yeah, right. I just, I just don't feel like I can ski or that I should ski the lines that I want to, if I don't have that safety equipment. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Awesome. So we're going to do, I've got goggles and packs on our list to talk about. Is there anything, so eye covering, do you guys have any preferred eye covering for in the goggles? Do you wear eye covering, some sort of eye protection? <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Let's see. Let's, uh, Tristan, let's go, let's go with you. Oh man. Uh, so I think this is, uh, this is, this is a Smith scope, I believe. Uh, and, uh, super simple. Um, there's not much to say about this. It's, uh, it's just got a persimmon lens. And basically the reason I wear these is that when you're skiing in the backcountry, there's nothing worse than something schwacking you in the side of the eye and whacking you in the face. So if you're wearing these, I mean, even, uh, even if you're doing like bolting the traps and, uh, you know, there's like one section where it's so narrow and tight. I sometimes put these on because I know I'm just going to get whacked in the face. Um, and actually, was it two years ago? The snowpack was so high that the trail was actually like up in the trees. And, you know, just putting something on and protecting your eyes, because if you get hit in the face, um, especially for someone like me, uh, um, it's, it's, it's not good. So super cheap, like 50, 60 bucks, I think. Uh, and some other Oakley guy where for... Um, uh, lift serve that have more of a spherical lens um but i just i think this is what i in the back for backcountry skiing uh just a smith scope um uh, goggles what i use most of the time so a cheap i'm a telemark skier <laughs> kenzie do you have uh what are you what are you sporting these days uh well i sport two different things on the way up i wear the same um, transition sunglasses that i wear mountain biking so i rock some jewel bows air lights that are transitioned from pretty low light, which is a one to a three, which is a pretty high light. Um, I really don't like the wind biting at my eyes, no matter if I'm going down or up. So that adds some protection. And then I switch out those sunglasses at the top for some other transition jewel bow goggles um, that actually have a little bit of um, ventilation. So the, the actual lens comes out a little bit and you get a lot of airflow if it's a really warm day outside. But I think you have them right there. Yeah. Um, so I rock the same exact thing. They're awesome. And I love that it transitions between different types of light because we all know like the backcountry, we don't know if it's going to be bright, if it's going to be dark, if the trees are going to be really overshadowing. So I want to get to see every single shark that I'm going to hit in the snow before I hit it. Totally. And Josh, how about you? Uh, I'm in a pretty similar boat as Tristan. Uh, you know, you're in the woods most of the time. You catch limbs, you scratch those lenses. There's nothing more worse than 
an expensive pair of goggles with just a free brand across them. So, you know, I go for a real economical pair, you know, some of these, you know, this is a, this is Ashbury. Um, they actually for, you know, like 60, 70 bucks, they give you two lenses too. So something like that, keeping it cheap. You know, I've gone through, gosh, like five or six lenses in a, a few years, just because they're just scratched to heck. Maybe that says how good of a ski rate I'm actually. <laughs> <laughs> you're, just, you're just an adventurous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're just exploring different terrain. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I guess I kind of am in the same boat as Kenzie. I, I usually, a lot of days I'll just wear sunglasses. Um, you know, my, I tend to, my, I feel like glasses, fog, I feel I things fog up really quickly for me. So oftentimes on uphill, I won't have anything covering my eyes unless it's like really windy. Um, oftentimes I wear a, a hat under my helmet and I feel like that brim of the hat helps cut the wind. And so that provides me with a little bit of like wind protection that I'm looking for. Um, and then on the downhill, I'll just throw the glasses on, um, depending on where I'm at. But yeah, no, true backcountry, yeah, goggles are the way to go. I've got a pair of these aerospace goggles. Um, I'm kind of with Tristan and Josh on this. I probably wouldn't have expensive goggles, but um, I, nice, being at the CTA, <laughs> I, 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 these were gifted to me, so they're pretty nice. Yeah. I've never used the, I think they're cool because they have, you can see like the, the lens pops out from the frame there. And I think the idea is that you can, that it keeps them from fogging up if you're going to wear them like on an uphill if it's like storming out. But mm -hmm. I've never really used it for backcountry skiing. I, I've wore these once at one of the corporate cups um, and they did a really, and they didn't fog. So that was pretty good. Oh. It, does, it does work. It does. It does. I've, I've skied, I've used them at the resort with the, the ventilation open. Yeah. Um, and, I, I would say one of the things that I really like about, I, I mean, these are all Jobot products, but one of the things I like about them are they're, they're the transition lenses and they're like the light to like the mid dark. And what I like about them is that they really cover the whole range. Like I can go night skiing in these yeah. headlamp and then on a bright day, they're, they're not, they're plenty dark enough for like a bright, the, the bluest bird day we're ever gonna see here. So, I mean, I kind of appreciate the fact that they're just always have the right lens. Um, though they are kind of, you know, the goggles are kind of expensive for that, so. But yeah, so everybody wears goggles. Main reason is to protect your eyes. And, you know, and it seems like it's not, you know, spending a lot of money on goggles, maybe not necessarily the best thing if you're gonna just, if you're gonna trash them, um, which is, seems to be more likely backcountry skiing just because of the terrain that you're in. So, <clears throat> cool. All right, and so now we're on to packs. Um, what do you guys? How do you guys feel about packs? I might, I might kick this one off. I have two packs because I have an actual backcountry. I actually have a, a dedicated backcountry ski pack from Black Diamond, um, and this one's it's 35 liters. Um, I think, yeah, 35 liters. It has space for like Avi gear. So if you're in, you know, if you're in Avi terrain, like in the White Mountains or over in the Adirondacks, I, I, can, I have space to carry that stuff. Um, there's room for a lot of, there's, there's room for way more stuff than I usually carry in this. And so oftentimes I don't actually use this pack a lot in Vermont just because it's too much, there's too much room. And most of the time I'm going out again is like, I'm, it's a quick work before, a, a quick lap before work or something like that. And I just don't need this much stuff. And so the other pack that I use a lot is just this like cheapo <laughs> REI pack. Um, 
it's just a, it's just a small, it's nothing special. It's just a backpack. It goes on your back and it holds stuff. And I can throw an extra layer in here. I can throw my skins in here. Uh, I can drop a thermos in here with some hot chocolate or something like that. But I feel like, you know, it doesn't have any kind of fancy ski carry, um, mostly because most of the skiing around these, this area doesn't require you to strap your skis on your back and do a boot pack. So it's not really, so I feel like, um, you know, this is the pack I usually grab just because it's the right size. It's, it's 18 liters versus 35 liters. And, um, and I just don't need all those extra, all the extra functionality. Um, are you guys sporting? Josh, go for it. Sure. Uh, so I got a pretty similar, I don't need to show you, but uh, a pretty similar bag to your, uh, your kind of main uh, backcountry skiing one. It's got a lot of capacity, throw, you know, extra layers, the shell in there, your avi gear, uh, which is going to be really accessible if you do enter some, some avalanche terrain. Um, mine's got a little quick access to crampons, which is kind of nice if you do get into some steeper situations. But um, yeah, that's kind of just my, my everyday kind of like weekend one, spending a lot of time, got a lot of capacity to fit in all the snacks you need. You know, you got to have, got to have those hot foods, <laughs> hot food on your tour. But when I'm feeling really Euro, I got the, the Schemo bag here. This is the Ultimate Direction Schemo bag. It's about 15 liters. Um, you know, you can, you can have your food and water accessible up front. The bag doesn't have to come off. Um, but it has that ski carry here. This is kind of the biggest thing is, like Greg was saying, we might not have too much of that terrain around us, but being able to, if you want to do a couple laps in some steep chute or something that you have to boot back up, not having to take your pack off and throw the skis on the back real quick. It's got these loops in the back and it just goes over your shoulder real quick. Uh, nice and convenient and easily accessible without taking the bag off again is you can throw, you got crampon access or you could throw your skins in there. Um, yeah, just when you want to look real speedy out there, combine this with a nice Lycra suit. Uh, yeah, you'll be an image out there. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't, I didn't mean to insinuate that we don't have like hike, you know, skiing that requires bootpacking. There are quite a few of those areas around here. I, I personally don't frequent those, but, um, but it's something to consider. Yeah, I mean, like you're saying, like quick access to crampons. Uh, the ability to stash skis, um, those are kind of the things that make a ski pack a ski pack, right? And so, yeah. yeah. Kenzie, what are you, what are you running these days? Uh, I'm pretty similar to you, Greg. Um, I have, for my main pack, a Black Diamond 32 liter Dawn Patrol pack, which I absolutely love. Um, it can fit all of my Abbey gear in it. It can fit the all of the layers that I always overpack with because I'm very terrified I'm going to be cold. Um, and uh, all the water that I would need. Um, it's awesome for like super long days up in the Chick Chocks to like going out the back door and going out for an hour. But I also do every now and then use like my hip belt that I use for mountain biking, my little Evoc like six liter pack to just put an extra layer in, put some gloves. I have my bladder in there and I just strap my helmet on there and then I'm good to go. So it's just depending on what kind of terrain I'm gonna do. Um, but the main thing is I always have water, always have an extra layer, pair of gloves and snacks. I'm always packing snacks. 
all about the snacks. Next mm -hmm. I mean, that's the way we ski, right? So we can eat more? Oh, definitely. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Drink more beer. Tristan, what, what, are, what have you got going? Uh, I have a, man, my, my gear is so <laughs> not outdated. Uh, but uh, I think uh, I have an Osprey Code 30, which I think they still make, right? They still make that? Yeah. Uh, and I, I, uh, I don't have a small Schemo spandex pack. Um, I always take my code because uh, I usually take my camera. Uh, I kind of have a big camera uh, that I like to take with me. Um, I need to carry snacks, um, an extra layer, socks, um, all my, you know, I have like a, uh, a little uh, emergency pack I take with me. So I always kind of take the whole the kitchen sink kind of deal. Um, not that I carry a ton of gear, uh, but uh, I can cinch it down. I can pull it down and minimize it um, if I'm going to take it, you know, on a lift with me um, or um, I'm going to go out, you know, and do the camel's hump challenge where I'm going to have to bring, you know, I, maybe I bring some warm food um, and, and some layers in my camera and stuff like that. So, so I kind of have one pack to do it all. Um, and actually it's getting fixed right now because I actually um, blew a zipper on it. So it's, uh, it's, uh, I've definitely put it through its paces and it's still, still function. Uh, and I love it. Awesome. So it sounds like, um, it sounds like we all have like a 30 ish liter pack in our repertoire. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's like, yeah. like if somebody were looking for a, a good size ski pack, like that seems like a good target in the sense yeah. that. Like if you're just going on a short trip, you can, it works for a short trip, but then if you're going to go out, if you're going to be gone all day long, you do have the capacity yeah. to kind of carry the essentials, carry something extra, like a camera, if you need it, extra snacks, extra layers, all that extra stuff. Um, and it's just a good, like middle ground. Um, if, if somebody were looking, you know, wondering what to, where to shoot or where to aim. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as far as what do you guys, have you guys, what are, what are you guys' thoughts on like back panel access versus uh. Uh, yeah you guys like it. Do you have preferences or do you i do okay let's hear it I, I love the back panel access um i really don't like having to put my pack on that has all of this snow on it again which makes me even more cold um so being able to just lay it down or else swing it around me where i can actually just open and see everything in front of me is super easy um, and then I can legitimately see anything that's in my pack that isn't my Abbey gear, which is in the front. Tristan, you're still using that code, which is back panel access, right? Yeah, it is. And, and actually that's where the, I finally blew the zipper on it. Um, Cause you know, sometimes it ices up, you know, sometimes you gotta, you gotta hit it and make before you, you know, zip it. Um, but I, you know, I usually separate wet gear and dry gear sometimes. Like if you're doing the camel sum challenge and you're shedding layers and, you know, depending on conditions, um, I like to separate that gear. You know, sometimes I'll keep my camera uh, in the front and then I'll keep all my clothing and then I'll actually swap it as I shed, um, you know, uh, warmer layers. Uh, so I kind of like divvying it up, you know, wet gear versus dry gear um, or my camera versus uh, clothing and stuff. So I love the back panel access. I think it's great. Big fan for sure. Versus a top loader where like, you know, if you're skiing with your buddy and he's like pulling everything out the top just to get to the bottom, it's like, come on, man, you know, like get a back panel access. Back. <laughs> Josh, do you have, <laughs> Josh, do you have preferences one way or the other? 
I haven't owned one that had the uh, the back panel zipper. Um, you know, I kind of always chose my pack. You know, I've only bought a couple packs in so many years now, but my main focus was the access to the Avi gear. That was like first and foremost. And then everything else was just price point then, <laughs> really. So I uh, just didn't end up with one, so. Yeah, totally. Well, and I, I, so I'm, I'm, I don't agree with you guys on the back. Uh, oh my gosh. I've had, I've had an Osprey and the, the, uh, Gregory makes the Targi, I believe, which is uh, back panel access. Yeah. And, uh, I just never liked like the, the code you always had to like, there were other buckles you had to take apart to get the, after you do to undo the zipper, take these buckles apart to like open it up. Mm -hmm. I just never wanted to go through all that hassle of mm -hmm. like, and it was like it felt like a mission to like get the pack open <laughs> and so the targi i remember didn't have this the the shoulder straps didn't cross over that so it was a little bit easier to open but what i found with the back panel like i, I often carry a camera as well mm -hmm. and if you unzip it all the way if you lay it on the ground and unzip it the there wasn't enough structure in the butt so like the sides would slip and everything would kind of like spill out of it and i was like that's uh -huh. i don't really i didn't really enjoy that that much either so I went to a top top loader just because it like keeps everything contained and if I'm or if I'm organized when I pack it, then I don't end up having to like yank everything out of it. Um, well, like, you have one of these. Yeah, totally. All right. That's what I put for my camera. And nice. You don't want to see that. And you just get good at, you just get a good at feeling like what when you reach into your pack, you're like, is that my glove or is that my hat? Is that my second layer? You just and you pull it. <laughs> pull it all out. <laughs> yeah, I just throw it all on the yeah. slope, Greg. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I, I mean, like, one of the main reasons I went for my pack is really because of fit. It just was a happy accident that it had a back panel, too, because yeah. um, it's all about what actually fits your torso properly. Mm -hmm. Cool. So I saw a couple questions in here. How do you guys, what do you guys think about, like, buying bulk skins and making your own? um as far as like saving a little bit of money um is oge selling bulk skin this year we aren't um it it's kind of cool if you want to get a whole bunch of the same skin for a whole bunch of your friends or else if you have like a whole arsenal of backcountry skis um but the bad part is like it's expensive to get bulk skins like either way you look at it you're getting um, toe clip, um, tip clips, tail clips, the whole shebang. And you're still having to spend like at least 30 minutes cutting them down to size for each ski. Mm -hmm. So a cost effectiveness, if it's a bunch of people doing the same exact thing, that's great. Uh, otherwise I'm not a huge fan. What about like kids for kids skis? You know, you can buy, buy them in bulk and then you can just use a simple tip loop, no tail clip to put them on, um, you know. Or, or, skis, or, or skis that have like a tip notch, you know, it yeah. seems like those would be, yeah. that would make sense. To, and if you're not running a tail clip, because yeah, you're probably right. If you had to, if you bought bulk skin and a tip kit and a tail kit and had to build it and then cut it down, hmm. at the end of the day, it might be a wash. But, the kits are not cheap. They're, uh, if you're sewing your own like loop and have a little bungee cord you can throw on there, it makes sense. But uh, like, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Otherwise, the, the tip and tail clips run you up there real quick. Yeah. I mean, the, the sets of them cost like 35 bucks per set alone. 
And I think bulk skins, I mean, the, the cut to length STS BD Ascension ones um, are like the least expensive skins that you can get and you still have to cut them to your ski. Um, they're almost exactly the same price as getting the bulk skins. Yeah, so that's good to know. One, I think we've been on here for almost an hour and 40 minutes. Um, before we go, as far as skins go, how about some skin trimming tips? What, uh, you know, most people that are gonna get into this are gonna have to trim their skins. Yeah. Uh, and that's something that I feel like a lot of people are kind of like, it's mysterious or it feels a little bit daunting. <laughs> and uh, so do you guys have any, you guys have any like stories of skin trimming gone wrong or have, have you just always knocked it out of the park? Wow. I, I've messed up a few skins. I can admit to that. Um, they were partially my fault, partially not. I was cutting skins while drinking a few ciders in my living room. Uh, yeah. Um, and my dog ran into me and uh, just, I was using one of the black diamond tools, which doesn't really trace that well. And it just went straight into the middle of the skin. Um, so my first tip is use the G3 skin trim tool. Uh, that thing is the best. Yeah, oh. absolutely. It, it goes in between the ski and the skin and you legitimately, all you have to know how to do is like trace a plate on a piece of paper. It's like the same concept. And what are they, five bucks? How much are they these days? They're like $7 and it's yeah, the best investment you can make. Yeah, absolutely. And you can, uh, you can hit, uh, after you cut a couple pairs, you can hit that uh, this part that goes underneath the glue with some alcohol because it gets kind of sticky, sticky, sticky. But Absolutely. That is like one of the best things you could say. Absolutely. I'm no said. I've cut four or five pairs of skins with my G3 tool that I got yeah. from a, yeah, my original G3 tool. Yeah. So, nice. Yeah. Agreed. The one thing they do really well is that that tool is awesome. <laughs> and it did, and it's cheap, right? It's like seven, five yeah. or seven bucks. It's yeah. cheap. And if you get a G3 skin, I mean, it comes with it. And it'll last yeah. you for how, like, Forever, pretty much. I've got like four of them, I think. So, yeah. and my, with my skins, I got the Pomoka cutting tool and it's pretty sweet, but um, I think it's like, I think it's like 30 or 40 bucks. Oh, like, It's pretty expensive to buy on its own. Yeah. Um, but it is, it's just like, there's so much more to grab onto. The G3 one is pretty small. Um, but yeah, I've cut a lot of skins with the G3 tool and it works great. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So what about skin? Let's go back to skin width. Do you have to go, do you have to cover every inch of your skis with skin or is it okay if they don't fit per, like perfectly? It's Tristan, you, it sounds like you run your skins on a bunch of different skis. Yeah, yeah, I do, I do. Uh, and you know, I have, I have skied with a couple people who threw a, a skin that was fatter than their ski. <laughs> Usually doesn't go well, because um, if you, if you go to put that edge on, you know, if you're going up and you hit something steep and all the snow has been swept off and you, you know, there's some ice or some crust, that skin is not going to be your friend. So I would heavily recommend not putting a fat skin on, uh, on a skinnier ski. Um, as far as width, like coverage, I think technique can uh, oftentimes allow you to run less skin. So as you get better at backcountry skiing, as you do more of it, um, you can totally go with less coverage for sure. Um, sometimes I throw on some ghetto, I have some leftover skins from all the skins that I've cut and I've uh, sewed them together and made like a kicker skin. 
that you can just throw on uh, uh, your fish scales if you want to. Um, and it, it does pretty well until it ices up or whatever, but like it's kick zone. It's just, and it works, you know, it works for what it, it does. I, I know when to use it and I know not when to use it. Um, but definitely uh, never put a skin on that's fatter than your ski. I, I just think it's a bad idea unless you have to, unless you, you know, that's all you got. But that's my two cents. Yeah. And so too, and it seems like too narrow. There is such a thing as too narrow as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like generally, if you if the coverage is good, like if you have like a 105 mil ski and a 95 mil ski, you can probably get away with running the same skin on both of them. But if you have a little bit, if you don't have a lot of edge exposed, if you have too much base exposed, like when you get into those, yeah, like you're saying, like if you're side hilling or you're going up like a cambered slope where you're kind of like only half the ski is kind of engaged in the edge, then you're not, you know, you're not on the skin anymore. You're mostly yeah, yeah. But so yeah, so what are the warnings? Like make sure your edge is exposed so you can yeah. you can use it. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it's there for. <laughs> make sure make sure not too much base is exposed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're going up like a straight, straight up a slope, a flat slope, no worries. But yeah. if you're I think cover like it, it try to cover at least two thirds of your yeah. base and skin. I think but, that's a good yeah. rule of thumb. But again, you don't need to cover every square inch of your like the tip. And you know, if you yeah. have if you've got like a, if you've got a pair of skins that fit like a 90 underfoot and you have another pair of skis that are like a 105 like you don't you could buy the second pair of skins but you don't have to you don't need to yeah yeah, yeah with rockered skis i mean i started to notice you know with, with rocker the more rocker you have your that tip isn't even touching the surface right so like if anything cheat back from the tip versus the tail unless you're on twin tips or whatever but chances are if you're back from your skiing um always, you know, cheat from the front versus the back. Um, that's, you know, a good rule of thumb, I think, yeah. So, great, thank you guys. Um, any other quick uh, tips you guys might have or wanna share related to kind of like equipment, like backcountry, alpine touring or telemark equipment or just suggestions or, you know, any pointers? Hmm. I think we covered it or everybody's getting Starting at a resort, you know, skin a lap, on a trail, on a resort that lets you uh, go uphill. I mean, that goes a long way. Instead of just jumping right back into the woods, uh, you'll get frustrated real quick. Um, <laughs> Bolton's a great place. You know, they let you go all the time. We get you with their uh, Nordic uphill pass. Um, yeah, definitely do some inbounds, I guess you could say. <laughs> definitely, yeah. I mean, it seems like more and more resorts are allowing it. And so it's a mm -hmm. great place if you're brand new to skinning, it's a perfect place to like get to know your equipment, uh, get to know your skins, you know, sort out your systems, figure out how to, how to layer um, before you're out in the woods somewhere where like a problem really could become a real problem, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Know your gear before you go out somewhere. Do it in your, do it in your, do it in your, I know there are people that practice their transitions in their living room. Yeah. Uh, they're more of the schemo racer type, but <laughs> you know, it's a good way to, good place to get to know your gear. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just do it in a safe environment. And like, you know, an early morning lap at a resort is a great, you know, good for your fitness, good to get to know your gear. And if you, you might get a surprise, a sleeper powder day. And mm -hmm. I, would, I would definitely say if you're like new to backcountry skiing, try it before you buy a setup. Um, see what's going to match you as a skier the best. Cause there's, a lot of different options ranging from like super, super lightweight to pretty burly. And like Catamount Trail, it 
does host events with other people that you can try these types of things out. Maybe not this year. Maybe not this year. In a non-COVID <laughs> year, um, you would be able to do that. But there are places that rent it, like Bolton Valley, like OGE. Yeah. Um, so try it before you buy it. Definitely. It seems, it seems like a lot more shops are actually bringing in uphill capable demo gear. And so, it's, yeah, definitely. You know, like seven years ago, you know, 10 years ago, it was hard to try out this stuff without making a commitment. Uh, but now it seems like much. it's much easier to kind of like stop in your local shop and usually they have something for you to try. Um, so that's definitely good advice uh, if people, for people that are thinking about getting into it and want to like, you know, try frame, like try stuff out. Like, what is this all about? How does it, is this even something I'm going to like, yeah. you know, is it, is it worth, you know, hiking uphill for, you know, 60 minutes for a five minute downhill, you know, it's like, <laughs> we all think, I think we all say yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. always yes. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Absolutely. Uh, anyway, so, all right. So I think that's going to wrap it up for tonight. We keep it under two hours long. Um, I do want to let everybody know, I want to thank you guys all for participating tonight um, and sharing your sharing what you know and just, you know, carving out two hours from your night instead of one like we had, I had told you. Um, <laughs> and then I do want to let everybody know that's watching that we do have, this is the first video in a five video series. So next week, we're going to be talking about um, splitboarding equipment. Uh, the week after that, uh, XCD and like Nordic touring equipment. Um, and then we're going to go into um, like how to dress and uh, what to pack in your pack and like first aid and repair kit kind of like details. Um, and just hopefully through that we can kind of cover basically most of the most of what you need to know to like, you know, to get out there. And yeah. So, um, yeah, I also I, I should also since I work at the Catamount Trail Association, I should make one more pitch for the CTA. Um, we do offer a lot of tours, and like while this year with the pandemic, it's a little bit tricky. Um, we do have quite a few tours um, <clears throat> on our schedule for this coming winter. Uh, we partner with some of our you know places like OGE and some other places to provide demo gear and do some like introductory tours for both splitboarding and skiing. Um, some of our chapters have some great tours that are happening. Um, Dutch Hill down in uh, the Southern Vermont, they do, a, they're, they're doing a tour series, which is great to get to know their area. Um, and Dutch Hill is a great place to, you know, if you're gonna, if you wanna try it out, that's a great place to go. It's, it's not a huge, there's not a huge ascent. They have a ton of parking. So one of the big problems we're gonna have this year is parking at trailheads is gonna be limited. Um, and so someplace like Dutch Hill, you can, you can know there's gonna be a parking place for you and there's gonna be space to kind of spread out and stay away from other people. If, um, depending on what the current pandemic situation is when we get there. Um, so <clears throat> anyway, guys, thank you so much for being here. And now I need to figure out how to turn this off. <laughs> it won't stop. Oh, God. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Greg. All right. All right I think I ended this, the live stream. <laughs>